Good morning to you all. And I'm glad to say there's no feedback. I see Rod left, so I can't even tease him about that. After he used the word feedback, he kept using that word about feedback about three or four times, and I thought, well, that was kind of interesting. Uh, the feedback got stuck in his head. The word feedback got stuck in his head. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning, and uh, people have asked me, how's your we summer been, and uh, how's your weekends been and stuff, and I say, uh, well, I could use a little more sunshine. Uh, somebody described it when I said that to them this morning. This summer kind of comes in our blocks, and you have to be quick and ready and run out and enjoy it. So yesterday, my wife ran out and enjoyed it because summer showed up in the afternoon for a while, and then by evening, it was raining again. And uh, I have somebody, I guess it was Dave up here last Sunday, said he grew up in Vancouver, and he's feeling very at home here now. Uh, all the rain has just been uh, kind of overwhelming. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know that weather does actually affect us. And there's a lot of other things that affect us, like, oh, when I was growing up, I ran into a few bullies, and uh, I learned really quick something that I was taught. The reason bullies run down other people, anybody know why? To make themselves feel better. It's often born out of insecurity. Or this false idea that if I make others less than me, I will be greater. And it's interesting because in our society, even in the church, we will say, well, our church is way better than, you fill in the blank. And sometimes it's this insecure sense that maybe our church isn't so good. Or we'll talk about the neighboring town like Dawson Creek and Fort St. John. Well, they're not very good. Grand Prairie's way better. Now, I grew up in Fort St. John, so I have to be careful of that one. So thinking about it, why do we do that? What causes us to be so opinionated and divided? In the last U.S. election, it has been revealed that the Russians were meddling in the election with social media stuff. And without getting political here as to why President Trump won or didn't win or why Hillary did or didn't win, the Russians have actually been meddling for years, and they actually have one goal. They want to divide the U.S. They want to tear down this superpower because if they're out of the way, then Russia can dominate the world both politically and economically. So why is it that Russia did that, meddled in the U.S. elections? I read this week that divorce really hurts people financially. I mean, the headline of itself, I went, really? Nobody thought of that? <laughs> I think if you've been through a divorce, you know what I mean, it's hard. Suddenly you have to support two households on the same income. And I was thinking here, I mean, we talk about Russia, we talk about bullies, but if I was Satan and I wanted to tear you down and your marriage down, what would I do? What kind of thoughts would I put in your head? And I ask you, why would Satan want to tear your marriage down? Well, he's evil. He doesn't like you following after Jesus. He doesn't want your marriage to be an example. So going even a little bit further, 
If I was an enemy of the church, and we know that Satan is, and there are others that are too, what would I do to divide the church and how would I do it? How would I weaken the church's influence? How would I weaken the church's finances? Today's text that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 15 is an amazing text of division averted in the church. The issue that came up in Acts chapter 15 had the potential to completely derail the church, wreck its finances, wreck its reputation, and the division that came up in the church pitted culture, Jewish and Gentile. It pitted tradition, and believe you me, the Pharisees that we're going to read about, they had a completely different tradition of how religion was or how the church, when they came to Christ, should be. And the division really pitted theology against theology. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15 as we see that, truthfully, opinion does happen. Opinion does happen. Honestly, we are a people of different backgrounds, different preferences and experiences, old and young, culturally from different backgrounds. Some of us may even have trust issues because we have a story of those in authority hurting us deeply. So we bring that into the church. We, we have this baggage that comes into the church. We have this opinion that comes into church. We have these backgrounds that come into the church. I remember meeting a pastor of Kelowna Alliance Church years ago. And I was jealous, I'll be honest. I wanted to tear down his church to make me feel better. He was in God's land, right? I mean, so many people here want to move to Kelowna. I hear that all the time. And I remember sitting with him and I said, oh man, it must be wonderful to pastor a church in Kelowna. He looked at me and his eyes actually welled up with tears. And he goes, I wished it was the case. But he said, Kelowna of anywhere in Canada is a makeup of people from everywhere else, from Little Wee, Looseland, Saskatchewan, or Saskatoon, or Winnipeg, or wherever it might be, even from Ontario. And they come into the church with their backgrounds and their ideas and their thoughts, and they want this church to be like what they are used to. And he said, I have had the hardest time to keep the people united in Jesus. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Let's look and see how this played out. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, listen to this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Now, if you know their story, I mean, Paul and Barnabas were reaching the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed. By the way, this is how the church dealt with this conflict. And I would argue that having a denomination isn't so bad. Although you know the Alliance, our story, we weren't a denomination until 1967. We just said we were a movement of God. And churches are kind of independent. But listen to what they did. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp debate. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, 
to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, listen to this, they told how the Gentiles, as they went from church to church on their way, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news, this news of the Gentiles coming to Christ, it made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. However, next verse, opinions show up. Verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, here it comes again. Same argument, different location. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, they didn't say in order to be saved, but it's implied. Just a little information for you. Are you familiar to, uh, to when I make the statement Pharisee attitude? Study the book, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even in some of the smaller books, and you'll start to see this group of Pharisees. Now, this is an interesting curiosity that I discovered. Most Jews today come down from the line of Pharisees. And it's kind of branched off into liberal and conservative and a whole bunch of other things. But the original Pharisees, they would tithe even their spices to the church. They were caught, they, in some groups, and I hear even in New York, there's a, a Jewish community, they have this ribbon around the temple. And when you go within this ribbon, you have to walk backwards to church. You cannot enjoy it. Let me tell you, the Pharisee attitude is alive and well in the church. The Pharisee attitude's alive and well in me. How often I rise up with my opinions, my background, my fears and my mistrust, and I get angry and upset of the things that are going on. Now, understand, my personality as a rule, I don't mind change, I never have. Especially if it makes logical sense. But the world is changing so fast right now, I'm just feeling super uncomfortable. And I have this Pharisee attitude and I just wanna go pick it and, and march and I haven't got to the point of shooting anybody, thank the Lord. But the Pharisee attitude, it's in all of us. What exasperates this today is how fast society is changing. And the church, we're, we're barely keeping up. Our district just did a huge study and report, hired a guy in to see where we're at as a church. And when it comes to technology and online services, and by the way, anybody under 35, they watch everything online first before they do anything else. If anybody has a question, what do you do? You Google it, and you look for an answer. Did you know the church is barely online? Out of 140 churches in Alberta in the Alliance, there was only 12 or so or 20 that are actually online live services. And we just started doing that ourselves about two or three years ago. You see, we're so far behind in so many ways, and we just go, well, those guys were walking around with their cameras. They're, they're so disruptive. It, it bugs me. Why are we spending all this money on technology? I grew up on a party line phone. I grew up in the airport, in the airport, on the airport, not on the runway. My house was close to a runway, though. 
And I grew up at the airport on a party line, and it actually was a lot of fun as a teenager because we could pick up the phone and hear somebody's conversation, and we'd listen for sometimes 10 or 15 minutes. But it was even more irritating, though, when you'd pick up the phone and you'd hear click and somebody would be listening into your conversation. I was a teenager, just like the people, the young teenagers say love texting. Well, we didn't have texting then. We just had the phone. So I was on the phone all the time. And people would come on and say, can you finish your call, please? I need to make a phone call. Now my wife and I each have our own phone number and we carry it in our pocket. My phone number is sitting on the front pew. Things change. For the most part, I don't mind change. But as I said, change has been so fast and so breakneck in the church and outside of the church, it's making our heads spin. And this exasperates our frustration. And this opens the doorway with our baggage and backgrounds to get so divisive and not spirit-filled and spirit-led. When I get frustrated with change, I ask the question, is this a preference thing for me? If I see young people doing something that I would have never done, I will say, is this a preference thing? And second thing I ask, biblically, where does this fit in? I mean, often people come to me and say, Pastor, I don't like this, I don't like that. And sometimes I'll say, well, let's go to the Bible and see what it says. I mean, I ask myself that all the time because I know my Pharisee proclivity. Let's read on and see a great example of how the church worked through its divisive issues. Now, just to let you know, there is a form of democracy in the Bible where they did choose amongst themselves, for example, some leaders. But you need to understand, and this is where we're trying to lean really hard as a church, God was always involved. They would pray and fast most often before they chose any leaders. And so I have a meeting this Tuesday night with the nominating committee. Three elders, three members from the congregation, and we're trying to figure out how we can invite God more into that process. Because friends, the government organization isn't an evil thing. But when it becomes the thing that we count on and rely on and we exclude God, then we're in trouble. Verse 6. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Now, they were a new church. They were struggling like anybody. These were the Jews in Jerusalem, the Jewish church. And it was kind of one of those things that, hmm, let's work that through. Because when the church goes into a culture, it often becomes very culturally like what they're around. And if you didn't think that culture creeps into our church, it does. And a lot of the things don't matter. They're just neutral. Who cares? Who cares if we have a TV? Who cares if we have padded pews? Who cares if we dim our lights? We would have never done that years ago. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now, I want you to know that sometimes, now I missed the last elders meeting because I was on holidays, but two months ago, there was about three or four issues that uh, we discussed for about 40 minutes each. One of them was over an hour. And if you think the elders are just a bunch of guys that just listen to everything I says, then you don't understand me, and you don't understand our elders. We need to work stuff through. But at the end of the day, listen to what happens. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, 
You know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Remember the blanket coming down? God telling him to go eat the unclean animals? God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. If there was any doubt, it was clear God was with the Gentiles. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts Listen to this, by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God? Oh, and I love this. Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? What do you think he's referring to? He's talking about the law. He's talking about the Mosaic Covenant And he's saying, hey, we can't even measure up to that. We never have been able to. It's been a yoke around our neck. It it has burdened us down. We, We really actually can't attain heaven. When we lean into the scriptures, we start to see this theology flesh itself out. In Romans 5.20 it says, the law was brought so that the trespasses might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. In other words, there was a mark on the wall. God says now, you need to do these things to attain heaven, to attain relationship with me. And what Romans is saying is, it's saying that the law was put there so that it was really clear that we couldn't do it. And he says, sin increased. More rules, more sin. But he said, where sin increased, grace increased even more. Galatians 3.19 describes it this. uh, Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Who's the seed that had come? It's Jesus. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Friends, we are not required today, and this is a conclusion of Acts chapter 15 as they meet. The law was not given for us today. The scriptures describe that Jesus fulfilled the law. Andy Stanley, in one of his recent books, and oh, you search Andy Stanley, you'll find out he's a heretic and everybody's angry, but he doesn't like the Old Testament. Oh, by the way, I listened to an Andy Stanley sermon he preached two Sundays ago out of the Old Testament. So he does like the Old Testament. But he tries to make a point. And Andy has a little bit of a hyperbole problem. He sometimes overstates stuff to get his point across. But let me explain to you what he said. He said when the New Testament church, which had its wonderful writings, started to include the Old Testament in all the books that they began, especially in the 1600s, to print and to preach from, a lot of Christians began to get like Pharisees. And they began to go to the law and they began to make Christianity all about rules. We need to get our heads around this. Let me be really clear this morning. If you're doing external stuff to earn your salvation, then you will be miserable and you will not attain it. Your salvation is completely 100% by Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are really clear of that. Not by works lest any man should boast. We are saved through grace and through faith. And this becomes the focus of the early church. Often when we have division come up in the church, it sometimes is really good to start to focus 
on the big picture, on the big things, on the important things. We need to be so careful of the Pharisee spirit. spirit. I've been personally studying through the book of Colossians, and the book of Colossians, as I'm reading it, it, it attacks the subject really hard. It attacks legalism. It attacks uh, Gentiles trying to work their salvation. And then the very next chapter, it, it begins to list off a whole bunch of things that we must do. But if you look closely at it, and even in the Old Testament, almost every one of the Old Testament moral laws are repeated in the New Testament. Love your neighbor. That's repeated in the New Testament. Some of the do not sleep around on your wife. That's repeated. These are moral laws. This isn't, Mosaic law is more stuff that Jesus fulfilled as how, what you wear and how you look and, you know, not being like whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside and dirty on the inside. Now let's carry on. Let's see how the scripture begins to focus what is in common to unify the church. Acts 15, 11, this is what it says. No, we believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Now this is Peter. This is the leader in the church. This is a guy with a reputation. This is a guy who, even a few chapters earlier, was saying something a little different and had to be challenged. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul tell about the signs and wonders God had, been, had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name for the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind, listen to this, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, James says, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles or who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them, listen to these three things, to abstain from food polluted by idols. Now we're gonna go through three lists, and some theologians say this list is more being culturally sensitive. These aren't theological demands. These are there's Jews everywhere. And Paul would often go to a Jewish temple first and proclaim the gospel there first. And so it could be that. But in the least, this little command here not to eat food, sacrifice to idols, I would say even at, as I look at it, it's a good spiritual warfare principle. Why, uh, why flaunt and fool around with demonic stuff? Let's just be careful in all that. Not in a Pharisee attitude. They're to abstain from sexual immorality, this is moral code stuff, from the meat strangled animals, from the meat of strangled, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in synagogues on every Sabbath. So let me focus again. What did they do in the church? This division came up, they had a good discussion, especially amongst the leaders, and the decision they made, they decided we need to focus on the big issue. Did you know the Alliance, we always used to call ourselves a big tent church? 
we wouldn't get ourselves caught up in the little minute little doctrinal details. We would say, Jesus Christ is Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. And over the years, we began as a denomination to get a little more institutionalized. We began to focus on doctrines and minor stuff. And I'm so glad to say there's a renewal going on in the Alliance right now. We're getting back to who we used to be. And we would say it is Jesus and the grace of Jesus that we focus, focus on. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I read this interesting story from Christianity Today this week. Nearly two centuries after Luther posted his 95 theses, Protestantism has lo had lost some of its soul. Did you hear that? Institution and dogma had in many people's minds choked the life out of the Reformation. And if you didn't know, by the way, when you look at church history, there's, it seems to be about every 100, 200 years, God seems to need to raise up this movement because the church becomes so stodgy and rule-based and Pharisee-like, and we start creating all these Christians that look absolutely identical. Lutheran minister P.J. Spenner, the article goes on, hoped to revive the church by promoting the practice of piety, emphasizing, and this is what piety is, emphasizing prayer, and Bible reading over dogma. And this principle, it worked. Pietism spread quickly, reinvigorating Protestants throughout Europe, including the underground Protestants of Moravia and Bohemia. The Catholic Church, in the meantime, began to crack down on the dissidents, and many were forced to flee Protestant areas of neighboring Germany. One group of families fled north to Saxony where they settled on the lands belonging to a rich young ruler, Count von Zinzendorf. Now, don't worry about the name. By May 1725, 90 Moravians were gathered at Hernhut because of the spirited preaching of the parish church. The population of this small city was around 300 people. The Count, Count von Zinzendorf, at this time was still a devout Lutheran and tried to keep the refugees within the parish church. His goal was to make little churches within the big church, uh, to act as leaven, revitalizing and unifying churches into one communion. But with the diversity in Herna, discord soon arose. People from different countries, different traditions, different denominational backgrounds. Some were from the Baptists, some were from uh, different other groups, Lutheran-type groups and brethren groups. And what the story doesn't go on to completely say is what Count von Zinzendorf did when this division broke out is he began to pray, and he invited people to pray. Guess how many showed up the first prayer meeting? The count was by himself. You see, he knew this principle like the book of Acts did. He knew he had to get the people to focus on the big picture, to focus on Jesus, to focus on salvation. So next week, two people, then four people, then eight people. And before you knew it, about six months or a year in, Count von Zinsdor had the whole community there at prayer. And when that happened, guess what he did? He came running down and got really excited. 
even I can get distracted. Squirrel, well, it's a little kid. Kind of looks like a squirrel, though. But what he did when people began to gather around Jesus was he had communion. And he said, it's all about Jesus. The story goes on to talk about how Count von Zinzendorf discovered a copy of the Constitution of the Unity of the Brethren from the 15th century. It was a Hussite movement in Bohemian Baravia, and he was amazed that this article was almost identical to the one he had just written for his community. And we as a church, as you know, we're part of both the Alliance Renewal with uh, Soul Care and Holy Spirit Weekend, and we're also part of the Southland Movement, Church Renewal Movement, and in one of my last mentoring sessions through Church Renewal, my mentor said, we have discovered there's about five different movements in the world right now. And guess what they're doing? The piety description? They're calling people to prayer and reading their Bibles. You see, God wants the church not to be into dogma and ritual, but in a relationship with Jesus, in a transformational relationship with Jesus. And my question to you, where are you at? I am so excited what's coming up this September as we start our Hearing God sessions. And the Hearing God sessions and then in January, the Set Free, it really is, it's like an old-fashioned pietist movement. It really is challenging us to start to learn how to hear the voice of God, how to read the scriptures with new enthusiasm and excitement, how to read the scriptures where the Bible actually speaks to you and you're not just parsing the Greek and the Hebrew to find out what kind of original meaning and historicity was involved, but you're actually reading the scriptures and, and asking God to speak to you personally through it. And all of you in the church, in the evangelical church, I know you know this stuff. There's nothing in these five movements that's new. There's nothing in them. But like Count von Zinzendorf, God is doing a renewal in the church today. And I will tell you, I was terrified of it five years ago. I said, oh great, here comes another one of those weird things. People are gonna be dancing in the pews before I know it. They're gonna be jumping over the pews. And by the way, I didn't see anything like that in Southland. Oh, we had something weird go on at one of our conferences. We had a lady spontaneously get healed when she dealt with some sin. You see, God is wanting to have a relationship with his people. And it isn't about our government. It's not about our doctrines. It's about Jesus. And don't get me wrong, like Andy Stanley, I might use hyperbole sometimes. I believe in doctrine. What I love about the Southland movement is the pastor there, he loves the scriptures and he loves doctrine. And he often teaches and he uses big words sometimes. It can get a little confusing. But I ask you this morning, what's your background? What's your opinions? What's your preferences? Why are you trying to divide the church? Oh, I'm not trying to divide the church, you say. I'm trying to save the church. What do you think the Pharisees were trying to do? I just want to challenge you. Ask God if what you're doing is from him. And when, if you really are convinced you still need to come forward, come and talk to one of the elders about your concerns. And do ask those couple of questions. Is this just a preferencing of yourself? Is this a biblical concern you have? And even biblical concerns, sometimes we can delve into the craziest things about 
You know how many angels can fit on the head of a needle? You find, have a hard time finding that one in the Bible. Or what kind of clothing should we wear when we come to church? And there is some teaching in Scripture about dressing modestly. There is teaching in the Scripture about worrying about your heart. But in conclusion, let me ask you these questions. As a Christian, we need to keep training and running the Christian race. Not in dogma, but in relationship with the Spirit. And our Global Leadership Summit, coming up in just a few days this week, on Thursday and Friday, we will be listening to some of the world's best leaders. And what excites me is one of their sessions, now they even have one or two non-Christian leaders that speak. I sit there and listen to the non-Christian leaders and I go, actually I can think about five Bible verses, that's from the Bible, that's from the Bible. And they have good principles. Now these leaders have to agree to some principles before they come up and teach. But what I love is the Global Leadership Summit brings leaders from our community in. And on one of the sessions, they present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at our conference, what I love even more is our pew is filled with people from other churches. This might come as a shock to you, but the Alliance is the end all, isn't the end-all, be-all. And this pastor is far from perfect. Number two. As a Christian, understand how critical church unity is. And you might have a burning issue. You might have something that keeps you awake at night. You might have an issue that's just so overwhelming. And I encourage you, you need to talk to somebody about it. Uh, don't go in behind and secretly trying to do this or that. But if I was Satan, I'd want to divide the church. I don't want to get me, the pastor, or you as a congregant riled up against each other. Did you know most church splits can be boiled down to personalities and preferences? One district superintendent came to my college and he'd been a district superintendent for 17 years and he was asked the question, of the church splits that you've presided over, and he said, yes, I've presided over 30 of them. He, he said, well, of these church splits, what was kind of the root or the basis of them? What kind of doctrine seemed to be the thing? Or, or what kind of Bible passages were they wrestling through? And the DS, district superintendent, looked up to the class and said, not one of them were over Bible or doctrine. Boiling them all down, it was personality and preferences. And so I say to you, friends, let's lean into the presence of God and his Holy Spirit. Let's focus on the big things. And I want to say to you this morning, and I hope there may be somebody here that needs to hear this, if you have not yet believed in Jesus, if what I'm saying, well, it might freak you out and scare you as I talk about unity and I talk about disunity and I talk about opinions and ideas in our world, it's like, we, you know, Christians are so closed-minded. And I would say some people are so open-minded their brains fall out, but that's me being belligerent and a jerk. But if you're here this morning and you have not yet believed and received Jesus into your heart, I mean, this stuff that I read in the Acts, this excites me. This gets me thrilled. As the church works out their differences, as they, they wrestle through in prayer and fasting, as they come together as one accord, as Count von Zinzendorf brought every together, everybody together in unity, and if you haven't believed yet, I just want to encourage you, it's so simple, you just have to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I receive you. 
I believe that what you came to do and to change the world really is incredible. If you didn't know, any historian worth his salt will tell you that North America and Europe, our successes are built upon a lot of the teachings in Scripture, a lot of the uh, government systems, a lot of the legal standings even in the Old Testament, a lot of how to work out differences, how to focus on single points, on the grace of Jesus like the early church did. These kind of principles are the things that have caused us to thrive as a culture and society. What I see Satan going after in our society is trying to polarize us. And I hate to say it, sometimes it needs, we need to have a war to get us unified. What, what really is Canadian? But we get polarized over the silliest little things. You know, whether somebody wants to fly to the moon or somebody wants to save a tree or somebody wants to chop the tree down. Somebody wants to make an oil well, somebody doesn't want to make an oil well. We get so caught up in these things. And we need to have dialogue, we need to have discussion. But in the end, friends, we have a unifying force in the church, and that's Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love, and I am so glad to say that this church, as far as I know, has never split in all of its years. It doesn't mean that we haven't had issues. It doesn't mean that we haven't had some division. But this church has wrestled through like the early church, all of the stuff, and we have focused on Jesus Christ, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our King, Jesus Christ, the one who gives us grace, Jesus Christ, our healer, Jesus Christ, our sanctifier, and God, as you continue to renew us, as, as we have changed hearts and changed lives, God, would you continue to renew this old pastor? Would you continue to renew even people older than me and the same age as me and, and younger as me? May you draw us together into one accord, into one cause. And when we have communion, may it be a sweet thing that happens. And God, I believe and I am convinced that you are on a move and, and you are doing a new work in the evangelical church. And this new work is spreading. I know in my mentoring I have people from the United Church and Catholic Church and God, I don't like the word piety at all, but, but you are creating this new deeper life movement where people are reading their Bibles, where people are praying, where people are coming together as one. Oh God, would you tear down the crazy strongholds, the crazy things that divide us, and may we be as followers of Christ of one voice, and may we proclaim Jesus and may we be a moral agent in this world, not because we're pushing and proclaiming and telling, but we're living it. And people look at us and go, hey, there's something there. So Holy Spirit, fill us. And if there's somebody here this morning that hasn't yet believed in Jesus, may they make that choice to just say, yes, today I believe. I want some of this. I want to be unified. I want to have a, a changed heart. I want my soul to be cleansed. I want my wounds to be healed. I want to have a changed heart and a changed life. I, I need my marriage to be helped. I need my family to be helped. I, I, I need my workplace to be helped. I want to be a, a person fitted with the gospel of peace. God, do a work in us. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.